1: Tonight on Huckabee, former acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf. illusions David Ferrari, former Parlor CEO, Mark Meckler. Country music singer, songwriter, Kelly Lang. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your guest announcer, Ray Stevens. Now here's Mike Huckabee.
2: What a great studio audience we have. But we got a special guest here in our theater tonight. Keith Bilbrey is away. And boy, he may never get to come back because we have the absolutely amazing immortal Ray Stevens as our guest announcer. Ray, we're so honored to have you here. I'm honored to be here. I am always amazed you continue to write some of the funniest stuff that ever has been put on video or in music for as many years as I can remember. I, I just don't know where you come up with all these great ideas.
1: Well, I have a lot of help, Mike, and uh, uh, I got a credit credit where credit's due. And, uh, you know, I don't write all those songs, although I wish I had the time to write more than I do. But uh, like I said, I get a lot of help.
2: Well, I just want you to know, we are all thrilled, not just me, This whole audience is absolutely, ecstatic to be able to see Ray Stevens in person. Thank you for being with us. Great
1: to be here, great.
2: Well, I have often said, the two hardest jobs in politics are city council and school board, because there is no layer between you and the public. Members of the public will tell you what they think in the aisles of a grocery store, at church, or at your child's little league games. Hey, when I was governor, I usually had several layers between me and a mob, including some Arkansas state troopers who were heavily armed. (laughs) Now that didn't mean I didn't get yelled at. It happened at town halls, sometimes in public places like sporting events, and even at church. Well, at church, it was my pastor yelling, but to be (laughs) honest, he was yelling at everybody. So that may not count as the same. Because parents across America have had it up to their eyebrows with their children being indoctrinated rather than educated with a bunch of racist (laughs) claptrap like critical race theory, you know, that spews out divisive racist teaching that America is an evil country, or puts out some unscientific and nutty notion that there are 57 genders and that one can just imagine being whatever, and you become that just by saying so. There are schools that are sponsoring some sick and twisted programs like Drag Queen Story Hour, where transvestites are invited to read sexually explicit stories to six-year-old kids. So throughout the country, parents are finally pushing back against government-run schools that prohibit prayer but promote perversion. And what's the response by voter-elected public servants on school boards? they have asked the Biden Justice Department to bring in the FBI to stop these loud parents from speaking out at school board meetings. And instead of laughing them out of the justice building, Attorney General Merrick Garland has decided to sick the FBI on the parents who dare to care about what their kids are being taught in taxpayer funded schools. Democrat candidate for Virginia, Governor Terry McAuliffe had an unintended moment of honesty when he actually said in a debate with his GOP opponent, Glenn Youngkin, that parents have no business questioning what teachers teach the children. Really? So the government owns your children and you're to simply drop them off at school like dirty laundry and when you pick them up and their lives are stained with pornography, racism and anti-Americanism, you're to thank the schools and keep paying for it? Hmm. So the message to parents is simple. Shut up and turn your kids over to us. Hey, let's be absolutely clear. If someone actually threatens a school board member or any public official with bodily harm, that is a crime. But local law enforcement can handle that. There are laws to deal with it. But when a parent shows up at a public forum and expresses disgust at what his or her child is being taught, that is not domestic terrorism. That's called citizenship. And until recently, until recently that was protected free speech. Now it's always better to be civil and fact-based when speaking at a school board or city council meeting. But I'm gonna tell you something, the law doesn't require you to be sweet. You can be angry and even raise your voice. That's protected in the constitution. the FBI ought to be cleaning its own house from the corruption of filing false documents. (laughs) When they spied on a presidential campaign and instead they need to be focusing on real crime, like maybe murder in America, which is up 30%. Maybe that's because some leftist mayors and governors think we ought to defund the police rather than defend the police. Now the attorney general wants to direct federal resources to siphle a rightfully angry mom at a school board meeting. Hey, for that, you don't need the FBI. Just call in old Bubba. He can handle that (laughs) every time. But the unintended consequence is gonna be masses of parents being fed up and getting their kids out of government schools and starting to homeschool them and put them in private schools where people don't hate America or the constitution. And here's hoping that some of you will run for school board, will stand up for the parents and students instead of the government goons and stop this nut-infused nonsense. (laughs) Well, there is no end in sight for the crisis at our Southern border. Thousands of illegal immigrants continue to pour right into the country overwhelming Border Patrol, law enforcement, and another 60,000 migrants could be in Texas in just the next few weeks. Chad Wolf is the former acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. And he says the tools to secure the border have been taken away. And this, what we're seeing, is the inevitable result. Would you welcome back to our show, Chad Wolf. Chad, it's great to have you back. I would think that by most anybody's definition, what's going on at the border is chaos and a disaster. Um, How did it turn out this bad this quick?
3: Well, I think that's a great question. That's what a lot of Americans, as they look at some of the video and the pictures of the Southern border, uh, particularly the 15,000 Haitians under a bridge in Del Rio, they're asking themselves that question. Look, we knew uh, once the election uh, was decided Uh, We knew what they ran on, we knew what they campaigned on, Hmm. and we warned them during the transition period, uh, December into January, that if they actually rolled back a lot of the policies that they had campaigned on, that certain things were going to happen, that there wasn't enough space in Border Patrol facilities, there wasn't enough space with health and human service, all the things that have occurred over the last eight months. We warned them, we gave them a playbook uh, of policies that worked, uh, that we had worked out in 2018, 19, and 20, um, they abruptly threw that in the trash can, and, and the result is uh, the largest crisis that we have on that southern border in over 20 years. I say it's the worst that we've ever experienced, but from a sheer numbers perspective, it's the worst we've seen in over 20 years.
2: Chad, I've looked on a map. If I look where Haiti is, a <laughs> island right. that is a long way from the Mexican border, who is paying to get people from the places where they start, right across this border?
3: Well, you know, look, there are uh, established smuggling and trafficking routes uh, throughout Central America and Mexico and up to the southern border. But I think it's important to remember the Haitians that we saw come across the border in Del Rio, the vast majority of them haven't been in Haiti for years. Hmm. They had resettled in Brazil and places in South America uh, and have slowly made the way to the border. And the question is why, why now? Yeah. Why come to the border now versus three years ago, versus two years yeah. ago, versus four years ago? And undoubtedly, the answer is because this administration has not only messaged that it's okay to come, but also by their policies, that if you get across that border, you're gonna remain here in the United States uh, for years and years to come. And that's what they want at the end of the day. What were the steps that the Trump administration took that
2: got it under control, that unraveled after he left?
3: Well, I think one of the great things about President Trump was he looked at immigration enforcement and border security and said, it's a tough issue. And while previous administrations had sort of punted the ball um, and decided not to make difficult decisions, he emboldened uh, folks at the department like myself and others to make those hard decisions. And he wanted to solve a problem that others chose not to. So we tried to work with Congress in 2018, uh, very unsuccessful. They just they chose not to not to do anything. So we started using authorities that we had at the department and that the president had and started to put in uh, policies that address the crisis, deterred the illegal behavior that we saw and rooted out the fraud in the asylum system, right? So if people cross the border illegally, there needs to be a consequence to that behavior.
2: It's important because you understood that a lot of the people that are being trafficked across the right. border, these aren't people that really are horrible people. They're people that are being exploited. Right women that are being turned into sex slaves, little kids that are being trafficked, bringing drugs in as mules to get the drugs in because they don't think the kids will be carrying it. Really a a human tragedy of great proportion. We never hear about that
3: part. You're exactly right. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. And that's certainly something I saw at the department. That's something I've been talking about over the last eight months, which is When you have an immigration policy that encourages folks to come from Central America, South America, but it's important to remember, Border Patrol apprehends folks from 150 different countries coming across that border. And when you're encouraging them to go through Central America and Mexico and and put your lives in the hands of a smuggler or a trafficker, each of them have to pay between five and $10,000 to get across that border. And people are killed, they're murdered, they're raped, they're they're exploited Mm -hmm. to no end. That is, that is the definition of an inhumane immigration policy. When the president said that the border agents are
2: going to pay for the use of horseback riders, which was perfectly legitimate according to their training, even the photographer who took pictures said right. nobody was whipped. Nobody was uh, in any way uh, treated unfairly or unkindly. Right. But before any investigation, he went out and publicly castigated the very people under his command. What is the morale of the border agents who are being held up as being the problem instead of the
3: administration? Well, I would say that those comments, as well as comments by our vice president, as well as the DHS secretary, were uh, completely irresponsible. They they made me angry uh, because it's just another attack on law enforcement that we see. Instead of assuming that your law enforcement professionals did the right thing until the investigation is complete, they actually did the opposite. They just assumed they did the wrong thing. Uh, And I think, as you said, the facts, eyewitness testimony and others have have sort of verified they actually did what they were trained to do. Again, they're on horseback. They're in a very dangerous situation trying to prevent traffickers and smugglers coming across that border while at the same time making sure that women and children aren't hurt. Very difficult job to do on horseback. Mm. Uh, But we give them the training and we expect them to do their job and we need to support them. Uh, Instead, you have leadership in the White House and at the department who are not supporting them, and I would say that the morale is probably the lowest it's been uh, at the department since its creation.
2: You know, it's pretty clear we need you back there. I don't think you'll be <laughs> asked to come under this administration, but the country would be yeah, better if you now. were there. Chad Wolf, thank you so much yeah. for your time and insight tonight. For the audience, you can keep up with Chad Wolf in real time on Twitter at Chad F. Wolf. Now, our riveting guest announcer, Ray Stevens, is going to tell you about all the wonderful things we got coming up yet on this show.
1: Uh, later on Huckabee, former Parlor CEO Mark Meckler, And up next, the film stars of Mayberry Man. Yeah,
4: we got a real big show tonight, VIPs only. I'll take care of it. Hold on now. Yeah, right. You're not on the list, I don't think. I'm pretty sure I oh, you am. You need to nip it, buddy. Just nip it. Yeah. Whoa. Well, this is big right here. Ray. Ray Stevens. Mr. Stevens. What an honor. The Street, get Tarzan. Wow,
1: what an honor. Well, thank you. You know, you're quite a VIP also. <laughs> Love your new movie.
4: Oh, thanks. I just did a little bit of acting, you know. Just When you got it, you got it. <laughs> Let's get you all settled in here, Mr. Stevens. Thank you. We got a really big show to do tonight.
2: Yeah, we really do.
1: MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at
2: Governor Mike Huckabee on Twitter. And welcome back, everyone. Now, as our warm up comedian, Rick Roberts used to use his astounding Barney Fife impression to herd our audiences right into their seats. Rick is now one of the nation's top clean comics and corporate speakers with the premiere of a brand new film called Mayberry Man. He's now a movie star. And together with co-star Alan Newsom, who's been impersonating the character Floyd Lawson for over 20 years, they have done a wonderful job of bringing Mayberry back to life. Would you give a warm welcome to our friends Rick Roberts and Alan Newsom? Welcome. (laughs) You know, I should ask the audience, Does everybody here love the old Andy Griffith show? Yeah? Who wouldn't love that great classic comedy, but always with an interesting lesson for it? Now, you guys have created something called Mayberry Man. It's a a full-length motion picture. It's in theaters now. It can also be available on uh, Amazon. Uh, How'd the movie come about, Rick? Well, uh, Court and
4: Stark Howe, their brothers, and their dad was on The Andy Griffith Show as an extra. And they went to see a Mayberry Festival where they met Alan. And they thought, man, if we could put together a, a fish-out-of-water story where a Hollywood actor gets involved with this Mayberry fan club, basically, and interacts with them, it might be a cool story. And so that's kind of how it started. And we've, we both got asked to be on the thing. They knew Alan before they knew me, but it's, it's really a, a movie about the fans and how they love on strangers and, and welcome them into a community.
2: Now, Alan, i got to figure out, where did you come up with the idea you wanted to be Floyd Lawson, for heaven's sake? Well, I've been
5: doing that since 1994. <laughs> and uh, the, there was another fellow that did Barney uh, named David Browning, and he talked me into just of coming to Mayberry Days in Mount uh-huh. Airy, North Carolina uh, in 1994, dressed up like Floyd. And I did it one time. I'm an electrical engineer. This is not normal.
2: <laughs> so uh, you are not a
5: barber. Oh, no, no, I am not. Did you bring uh, clippers and I, I do. I do have scissors. You look a little shaggy in the back there. Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> I mean, it, it's there's so many great moments that we've all had from uh, the movie, but this is not just sort of a recreation of Mayberry. It's a brand new plot. We've got a little clip that I want to show Rick. Set it up for us before we see it.
4: Okay, about midway through the movie, the main character is starting to be more Mayberry-like and doing some things for his friends. He finds out that there's a real Mayberry Squad car at this abandoned movie studio. He knew that I would like it, so he invites Floyd and I to go check it out, and we creep into this movie studio at night, and I think we're going to show the clip where I get to see the car for the first time.
2: Here we go.
5: I can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful.
4: You want to sit in it? I don't think I should. I can't do it, cutter.
2: That is great. Rick, when I see you do the Barney Five character, honestly, there are times when I can't remember, is that Rick Roberts or is that Don Knotts? Because you've got him down, I mean, to a T.
4: Well, he was such a, I mean, as a kid, that was my favorite show and he's always been my favorite actor. So when I stumbled into the possibility of doing that in character, in my stand-up and sometimes in life situations, I'm like, I'm going to study and really try to learn him, you know, study really close and I'm glad it came out across the screen, man. He's such a fun, fun guy.
2: Well, it was such a classic show and the characters were unique. They were powerful uh, in that they had, uh, I, I guess, a great connection with people. You could almost see people in your own hometown in the characters for Mayberry. I mean, we all kind of knew, there was a Floyd the Barber in every I, little community. I grew
5: up, there were definitely Ernest T's that lived in my town. I grew up in a small town.
2: <laughs> was the there an Otis? Oh,
5: well, no, we were a dry county. Uh, <laughs> dry but, county uh... I don't think
2: that have, had anything to do with it.
5: <laughs> no, it didn't. So we had church ladies that were like Aunt Bea. And yeah, others. And yeah it's, it's something you can relate to, I believe. And, and to me, the Andy Griffith Show is an ideal that we can strive toward, where, where people were kind to each other, fam- people loved each other, there was family, the church, all that stuff was there. And it's just something I think we can wish the world was really like that.
2: Uh, Rick, I heard someone say that the reason that everybody on Mayberry was so well adjusted and so happy They were all single. None of them were married.
5: That's
4: right. right. Except for Otis, and look what happened there. Yeah, Otis was the
2: only one married, and he stayed in the drunk tank all the time.
4: Well, you got to cope with it however you can.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's actually the lesson we want to get across from Mayberry. Um, But it it clearly has resonated with people. When people see Mayberry man, what is it they're going to connect to that you feel like is going to be a warm-hearted Very positive message.
4: Well, I I think the main thing is they're going to see themselves in it. It's really a movie about the fans. You know, it's not a remake of the Andy Griffith Show. It's just what happens when all these fans get together. So if you've ever watched an episode and just loved it, you're the audience for this group, you know. It's going to be a fun movie for you to see.
2: Can't wait for everybody to see it. You can stream Mayberry Man right now on Amazon. You can also learn more at mayberrymanmovie.com. And you can find all you need to know about the rest of this show If you just turn your attention to our guest announcer, Mr. Ray Stevens, right now. Coming
1: up, former Parlor Interim CEO, Mark Meckler, and still to come, the magic of David Ferrari. You're watching Huckabee.
2: why the band would have chosen that song. It's a classic song, a big number one hit written by a guy named Ray Stevens. Everything is beautiful. What a great way to come back into the segment. And I don't know of anybody who could play it any better than Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Let's give them a big hand. A Facebook insider this week blew the whistle on her former employer, telling members of Congress that the social media giant is tearing our society apart. She says basically that more censorship and government intervention in the form of increased regulations is the remedy. Boy, did Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Google not like that approach at all. Here to weigh in on the problem of big tech and what the states can do to band together to actually save our society the former interim CEO for Parler. Would you welcome to the show, Mark Meckler. Mark, great to have you. you. 60 Minutes did a big thing with Frances Hogan from the Facebook so-called whistleblower. It kind of fell apart in the course of the week. It may be that what her solutions are are
6: worse than some of the government solutions. Yeah, I think what she's looking for, what she's proposing, is big government regulation and big tech. I think the big tell, there were two big tells in her testimony. One was the fact that she was complaining about things that everybody already knew. There was no actual news broken. Uh, And we've heard over the week that she is definitely a a dyed-in-the-wool leftist activist. But we also heard her say she tied all of it to the January 6th events. And somehow this turned from Facebook generally into aiming at conservatives. And this is where you see Zuckerberg come into play. He issued a release saying, you know, she doesn't know anything. She has no idea what she's talking about. But yes, please, Congress, regulate us. And for all of us who are conservatives, that should be a tell. What they're saying is they want the Democratic Party and big tech absolutely wed so that they can control what you and I can say on tech.
2: You know, the the, the typical line that Facebook and Apple and other companies use is that, hey, we're a competitive society. If you don't like Facebook, come up with an alternative. You did that. (laughs) Parler was exactly that. Hundreds of thousands of people were going to parlor and then the big guys decided, mm, we don't want competition after all. Yeah. What did they do to you?
6: Yeah, and to be fair, I wasn't involved with starting it up and that was started by some great patriots and I came in after it got wiped offline to help them get back online. And so basically what they did And sort of the part of the story that most people don't know is they didn't only shut down the servers, they shut down what's called domain name registration. You know, you've registered your website at GoDaddy. That went away. The ability to process financial transactions went away. Virus protection went away. All these merchants shut everything down. So essentially, Parler was erased from existence in a matter of moments. I mean, people,
2: I don't think, appreciate what that means. It means, for all practical purposes, to whisper into Merrick Garland's ear, that is domestic terrorism. When you shut people down and you don't allow them even the opportunity to speak and be heard and you take away their platform, that's what's happening in
6: America. Yeah, and that was the number one downloaded app the week before they took it down. 21 million Americans were using that app as an alternative to Facebook and Twitter and places like that. So people like you and I felt comfortable we could speak there. We weren't going to be censored. It was a First Amendment platform. And they took that away. And the reason they took it away is because they don't believe in the First Amendment.
2: So, Mark, what, what can happen? What can be done? What should be done that would get back to the place where we have genuine constitutional Free speech.
6: Yeah, I think the, the main thing, there's a couple of reforms that need to be done. People have heard you probably talk about Section 230, the Communications Decency Act. We need to tighten that up because these uh, political actors in big tech are using that to censor political speech. Explain what 230 sure, is. Sec- a lot of people say, what yeah, does that section mean? Section 230 was intended to allow these big tech providers to censor obscenity, something we all want. We don't sure. want pornography on Facebook or Twitter or things like that. And it gave them liability protection for doing so. And what they're using it for instead is to censor anything that they find objectionable. There are words in there that say other objectionable content. And they're using that to censor conservative speech. So that needs to be removed, clarified, or they should lose their liability protection. That's one thing. And then I would encourage people, continue to use alternative platforms.
2: You are engaged in something called the Convention of the States. It has uh, a, a pretty significant goal. Uh, I think it's a great idea because it may be the only way we ever see reforms in this country. Explain to our audience what convention of the states is, what it would do, and what reforms could happen. Because Congress, I'm convinced, is never going to do it.
6: <laughs> never. Well, first of all, you are the first endorser of convention of states project. So thank you for being way ahead of the curve. What it is is using Article 5 of the Constitution to propose amendments to restrain federal tyranny. And the way it works is the states can call a convention when two thirds of the states agree on what the subject matter is of the convention. They can gather, they can propose those amendments. They have to be ratified by 38 states or three quarters of the states. And the three subject matter areas, one, imposing term limits on DC. And by the way, not just the politicians, but also the bureaucrats, the staffers and the judiciary. Do you think that's that's a good idea? Yeah, I love that. So second is anything that would impose fiscal restraints on the federal government. We're just watching them bust the budget right now. Three trillion, five trillion, who knows how many trillion, right? So we can impose a balanced budget amendment on them, generally accepted accounting principles. We could limit taxes, limit spending. Again, about 85% of the American public are in favor of it. Congress will never do that stuff.
2: They will never do it, but that's why it's so important that people are aware of it. I know there's some pushback. People say, oh, it could get out of control. Congress is out of control, Mark. Every day. I mean, that's, we got to recognize. And it is not an easy process to change the Constitution with the Convention of the States. So when people get worried about it, I think they ought to be worried about not doing it, not doing it. I hope to have you back so we can continue to talk about the progress. I want people to know how to become informed, and more importantly, involved in it. So Mark, thank you for being here. I want you to learn more about Mark Meckler and the Convention of the States Action Project. Here's how you do it. Point your browser to conventionofstates.com. Now, all you gotta do to find out what's coming up is point your attention toward our announcer for the night, Ray Stevens. He's right here.
1: Next magician David Ferrari, and then country music singer Kelly Lang. More Huckabee is on the way.
2: Our next guest is a master illusionist whose mixture of magic and music has earned him the nickname The Rock Star of Magic. Woo! Yeah. He is a recipient of the Merlin Award, and his show, The Icons of Magic, opens October the 29th at the Legends Theater in Orlando, where Mickey lives. You remember Mickey. Would you please welcome the amazing David Ferrari?
7: Nice to have you, David. Thank you. It is an honor to be here. Thank you, Governor.
2: And you have asked that I come out and hang out, I guess, so I can learn all your tricks, right?
7: We have some fun things tonight we're going to do. So let's Mm. get started. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take this uh, everyday newspaper and do something extra special tonight, Governor. So we're going to take this paper here and um, do some amazing feats of magic. all All right. So let's take this paper here. And uh, I want you to hang on to this glass of orange juice. And uh, obviously, it is real. It is. (laughs) And uh, very carefully, we're going to place the (laughs) orange juice, ladies and gentlemen, inside the newspaper. That's right. You see, when you believe in magic, you can make miracles take place. Let me show you, Governor. Okay. You see, we know if you put liquid in a newspaper, it's going to leak, but not in the world of magic. That's real orange juice, by the way. Hmm. As you can see, the uh, newspaper is completely dry. And all we have to do really carefully is fold the newspaper up. Again, please hold the glass straight. You're doing awesome. No Look way. at this.
2: That no way. That is magic. <laughs> wow. Mop in aisle seven. We'll get it later. See,
7: that's why I always come prepared there, you see? Now you see it, now you don't. <laughs> That's pretty clever. Thank you so much. And talking about uh, orange juice, I have two jumbo oranges here I'd like you to please all hang right. on to. I will. Now, please do me a favor, Governor. Okay. Take your time. You have two different oranges. Yeah. Please choose one for me. I choose this one. Are you sure? Absolutely sure. You can sure. change your mind if you like. No. Okay. Please take one. that one right there. Okay. Excellent. I like this one. In case it gets a little messy, we're prepared. And we're going to place that back inside the all table. Right. Fantastic. Now, do me a favor. I want okay. you to examine the uh, orange. Very nice. It's very real. I have in my pocket here a Sharpie. Okay. And we're going to place that into your pocket here just for a second. All right. Now, Governor, I need to borrow the biggest bill that you have. Ooh. I promise it won't disappear. Fantastic. David, all I've got is a Buck. There you go. Ooh. That's all I got.
2: (laughs) I love it. Hey, listen, under this new economy, I'm I'm struggling to get one of those, man, I
7: tell you. This is hard. (laughs) I love it. I love it. This is going to do perfectly. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the dollar bill. I'm going to have you hang on to it. Okay. Please, nice and big so the audience can see, place the Sharpie. Just uh, draw your first and last initial. On the uh, bill? On the bill, on the face. Oh, okay. Nice and big so the audience can see, all right? Be like the Treasury Secretary. I get that's to sign the right. dollar bill. That way we know it's the same bill. Yep. Now, we're going to cap the Sharpie. Okay. Excellent. Now, Governor, please fold that in eights for me, okay? Okay, one. Excellent. Two. Very good. Three. Four. Well, that would be... That's, that's perfect. Okay. That's perfect. That's...
2: That's Arkansas math. We get down to
7: the <laughs> eighths there. It's pretty... <laughs> it's really an illusion. I love it. <laughs> Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to place the bill that Governor signed very carefully. Don't blink. It goes inside my hands. Okay. Just by thinking about it, it has vanished from the right hand and the left hand. But this is very odd. You'll see that... It's been in full view the entire time. As have your hands. Yes. I want you to do me a favor. Take your thumb and just plunge it into the orange for me. Into the orange. Yes. We'll do it right here. I know in case it gets a little messy. Very good, Governor. You're doing fantastic. I stuck in my thumb and pulled out an orange (laughs) said, what a good boy am I. (laughs) I love it. So we're going to take it very carefully, Governor. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, witness... The impossible. Right before your eyes, we reach inside. No. For the first time. Way. And I'm not kidding, because all the way inside, the orange is a bill. But if we unfold that bill, <laughs> Governor, and to the amazement of the audience, let's show them what we have Forget here. the
2: audience. It's to the amazement of me. <laughs> there it is. Right?
7: The same there. bill... With governor's signature. Now, we're gonna do something even more spectacular. I can't imagine. I I love that illusion, and you did an amazing Ah, job. I have a jumbo card trick here we're gonna do. And we're gonna take these cards and let's show the beautiful audience here. The cards are all different. They are quite large, so I'm gonna show you very carefully. They are all different, okay? So everybody could see that. Now, we're going to take these cards, and, Governor, think of a number between 1 and 20. Free choice. Okay. You have the number? I do. Okay, fantastic. For the first time, tell the audience the number you were thinking of. 13. 13? Yep. Excellent number. My wife's basketball number. I love it. We're going to count 13 cards face down. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. We're going to get rid of the rest of the cards. Okay. The 13 cards, we're going to make two alternating piles. Okay, so I'm going to have All you right. put your hands up like this. Okay. Fantastic. Keep them nice and steady. Mm-hmm. You're doing beautiful, Governor. Good thing I'm not nervous. <laughs> Take your time. There you go. We're going to balance act here of the cards. You're doing great. We're not going to drop them. Don't worry. There you go. Beautiful. See, it's an illusion in its own here. hmm Now, as we make these two alternating piles, again, Governor could have thought of any one number that he chose. I could have. That's right. So, I'm going to have you hang on to this pile. All right. I'm going to come over here. For the first time, ladies and gentlemen, I have this big frame that has been in the full view during the entire illusion. Before we turn the card over, I'm going to show you something very interesting. This card in my hand happens to be... The Jack of Diamonds. I'll tell you what. Again, because you chose 13, look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Behind the frame is the matching card. Look at this. The Jack of Diamonds. And also, here's the best part. We place this card face down. Let's turn your card over on top here. The top one. Yes, the top one. Pull it up? Yes, please. Show the audience. Nine of Clubs. The Nine of Clubs. Remember the Jack of Diamonds. The frame is completely empty. No mirrors. The world of magic, everything is possible. Thank
2: you, David Ferrari. You can find everything else you need to know at iconsofmagic.com. Do not miss it. Speaking of magic, I think Ray Stevens may have a little bit of a trick up his sleeve for our show tonight. Look up that sleeve, Ray, and tell us what you got.
1: Coming up, country music star Kelly Lang's inspiring cancer survival story. Stay with Huffington. For Mike's guest, 70s R&B group,
2: Radio. Welcome back. Now, before I introduce my next guest, I just want to say thanks to Ray Stevens for joining us tonight as our guest announcer. What a pleasure having him here. He's got a brand new album. It's called Ain't Nothing Funny Anymore. Just got released. It's hilarious. But of course, everything Ray Stevens has done in his incredible career is hilarious. Check it out at raystevens.com or wherever you get your music. Now, almost 17 years ago, Kelly Lang wrote her hit song, I'm Not Going Anywhere, after being inspired by a friend who was a caretaker for a cancer patient. Shortly after composing the song, Kelly was diagnosed with breast cancer herself, and she needed care. And the song took on a whole new meaning for her in a deeply personal way. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And this week, Kelly has released an inspiring story in a wonderful new book. It's called, I'm Not Going Anywhere. Please welcome back to the show her husband, T.G. Shepherd, And the very courageous and wonderful Kelly Lang.
0: Thank you. Great having
2: you guys here.
0: I'm so happy to be here.
2: I'm so excited about the project. Uh, First of all, I wore a pink tie and shirt just to identify with you for 17 years of being cancer free.
0: Thank you. I'm so happy. Thank you so much. I'm honored that Olivia Newton-John wrote the foreword for the book, and she too is a cancer, we call ourselves thrivers instead of Mm. just survivors. So um, her encouragement in, in writing the book was really special for me as well. But thank you for allowing me to share it. What a great opportunity.
2: I think it's an incredible story. You've told it in such a very honest way. Yes. Because sometimes when people read books, and folks tell their story about a cancer journey. It's almost like, yeah, I had cancer, but you know, I prayed, and everything just turned out beautiful, and it was easy, and bang, it was, it was fine.
0: It was really it's a, not your story. Though, no, it? it wasn't. Uh, when we were cleaning out our garage through the pandemic, I ran across a lot of just scrap papers that I had written down because the doctors said this could be terminal, mm-hmm. and you might want to do a video or write something for your children at that point, and they were really young at the time. Uh. And I just couldn't bring myself to really forward with that. I kept the notes for some reason. And my friend Kim Fannin suggested that I might want to now make it into a book to be of inspirational for somebody else maybe going through this. And I prayed to God when I was going through my my situation that if he would just heal me, I would try my very, very best to be a light for someone else. Because I really didn't have anybody to speak with being that I was 36 years old when I was diagnosed. And um, so I'm, I'm 17 years out now and praise God, he, he allowed me this opportunity to share my story bravely.
2: Were there times, Kelly, that you wondered if you would ever go back on stage and sing again, that you would ever be able to be the Kelly Lang that uh, we knew as a, yeah. as a singer?
0: Well, the, the book is really an interesting arc. It starts out with me being a young, innocent, ready to go conquer the world as an artist, as star search things are in there. Um, And then it goes to, wow, you hit a brick wall. I had a choice. Hmm. I could crumble, and I could allow this thing to be my death sentence. But you know what I chose? I chose to make it my life sentence. Hmm. And I chose to make my life matter and do things bolder and more appreciatively. And um, it, it shows you how you can go from the worst day of your life to the best days of your life and not giving up.
2: Do you also find that when people are diagnosed with cancer... Someone like you can relate to him in a way that others can't. And you bring a comfort. It's, it's like that scripture in 2 Corinthians 1. You give comfort wherewith the comfort you have been comforted with.
5: Oh, that's you've
0: beautiful. You've got the
2: power that you've had you can now share it, but you couldn't have done it without having gone through it.
0: Absolutely. I'm grateful for the experience. I don't want to go through it again, but <laughs> I, I feel like I have had more appreciation for the rest of my life. I'm grateful that it came at such a young age because now I've lived so many more years awakened, you know, to say thank you for the trees and the sky, things that I would have overlooked before.
2: In the book, you talk about this guy sitting next to you, yes. T.G. Shepard. We know and love him as, as one of the great singer-songwriters from the past several decades. How did he play a role in this whole wonderful story about I'm not going anywhere?
0: Well, we I wrote the song before I was diagnosed, like you said, and we were just dating. We had been only together three years or so, and we weren't in a committed, like getting down to getting married anytime yeah. soon, He had gone through a really big financial crisis. Here I am, you know, with two little kids with breast cancer. Timing was really off. Not ideal. Not ideal. (laughs) And nobody knows all the behind the scenes, but we decided to allow this to be known publicly because people can learn from that experience that, you know, everybody's got something, in other words. And um, I let myself, um, my guard down. I took my wig off, took all my makeup off, and I was getting out of the shower, and I started just moaning, crying, and looking in the mirror. I looked like a monster, had marks all over me and bald and green. And we never lived together before we got married, but he did have a key to my apartment. He was dropping something off and he heard me screaming and crying in the, in the bathroom. My kids were at school. And he walked in and he saw me look so badly. I never let him see me look like that. Yeah. And Governor, he pulled me down on his lap in mm-hmm. my closet floor and wrapped me around in a white terry cloth robe and was rocking me like a baby. Hmm. And he kissed my bald head, and he said, Kelly, you're the most beautiful woman. And I said, you need to go. It's time for you to go. Here's your door out. And you know what he said? He said, I'm not going anywhere.
2: Wow. Whoa. (laughs) Wow. You could make a song and a book out of something like that.
5: (laughs) I could.
0: I cannot Uh. tell you enough beautiful things about this man, and that's not the reason I would have married him but it sure didn't hurt.
2: A lot of people don't realize that when your spouse or your partner is going through cancer, you also are going through a cancer. You may not feel the pain they feel, but you see the emotional pain, and it really, really hurts. And the only thing that got us through that was a lot of prayer. Mm -hmm. But we made it through, and hopefully she will be a light for anybody else who may be going through something like that now or in the future. A lot of people are dealing with what you've experienced. You're going to be a great help to them. And I hope people will get the book, get the song, be encouraged and blessed by it. You can get a copy of Kelly's book, I'm Not Going Anywhere. You can get it now on Amazon. You can also get it at kellylang.net. And while you're there be sure to find all the great music that Kelly's got. Now, also after the show, go to Huckabee.tv. We've got a digital exclusive performance of Quando, Quando, Quando (laughs) by Kelly Lang and TG Shepherd. But first, right after the break, Kelly is gonna be singing an incredible song for cancer fighters, I'm not going anywhere. And you better not go anywhere either. We'll be right back.
0: Thank you. We have some folks here in the audience who have also been affected by cancer, either personally or through a loved one. And I would like to invite those of you who are here tonight to stand and join me in showing the important people in your lives that you're not going anywhere. Take my hand, don't let go, look in my eyes, and in my soul, hold me close, hold me near, please let go, of all your fear, I'm not going anywhere. Seasons change with the wind, but I'll be here till the end. Friends may come, and then they go, but there's one thing you should know, I'm not going and lives with mine If you Your lips with mine
1: If you were
0: breathing